It's Sunday, August 20, 2023. I'm Anthony Davis. Welcome to The Weekend Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. You can support my work and independent journalism at patreon.com slash five-minute news. Our guest today is an attorney and legal analyst who produces her own content for the Midas Touch Network. Dina Sayegdol, welcome to The Weekend Show. Thank you for having me. So, um... You're going to have your work cut out the next uh, year leading up to this election. There'll be no shortage of analysis. And it's very interesting to me because in Europe, where I'm from, we don't, well, certainly in UK news, we don't really have kind of legal analysts or news anchors who are lawyers. In fact, you never really see or hear from lawyers at all. You know, people don't litigate against each other. It's just, you know, life kind of goes on without that stuff. And so I'm kind of really fascinated about how lawyers can give advice on TV without giving advice to Donald Trump's lawyers on how to circumnavigate the law. So just quickly, before we get into the meat of his indictments, do you think it's healthy that we have such a kind of litigious society here in the US? And does it kind of benefit criminal justice when you've got Trump's lawyers going on TV asking for advice? I I would say yes, as a lawyer, (laughs) (laughs) of course. Um, You know, I don't know. On the one hand, it it fits with our kind of American spirit, right? Like everybody has the right to do anything they want. And that includes sue their neighbor, right? Whether (laughs) or not um, it's justified or not. I mean, on the one hand, um, you know, you see when you travel kind of like product liability litigation i think people are probably would be grateful for in the us uh companies are so nervous about undertaking certain actions because they know they're going to get sued if they don't do it safely so right. yes we're litigious but you know it, i think there is a benefit to it and in terms of kind of the news and the legal anchors i think it's great i mean i'm actually a journalism major under before I went to law school. So I always believe like communication is key. And I think the lawyer's role as a legal analyst, or at least how I uh, fill that role, is breaking down the law in a way for people to understand. Because I don't think the law should ever be like unreachable, so complicated that the lay person doesn't get it. Because the law is truly for all of us. Otherwise, what's the point of it? And if you have somebody who's kind of trying to you know, make it seem more difficult because it benefits their client, let's say, Uh, you know, that's, I think, a bunch of baloney. Like the law is always understandable. And if as my role as a legal analyst, I could break it down in a way for that person to then understand it and communicate it to the person next to them, then I've done my job. And I think that that kind of goes into the American spirit. Hey, we should all understand these laws that we're governed by. It's certainly very helpful. Do you get frustrated, as I do, that all the way up to the Supreme Court, the law is political? Because again, compared to Europe and certainly the UK, this is not something that we have to contend with. So how can there ever be justice, whether it be for Donald Trump or anybody else, if your Supreme Court judges and judges all the way down have their political stripes worn on the outside and are appointed by politicians? You know, I think this is actually a modern phenomenon. You know, it was just under Obama that they kind of undid the um, filibuster for the appointment of judges. And before that, they needed two thirds to confirm justices. I mean, we know Justice Ginsburg got 
almost 100% of the Senate to confirm her at that time. So you had much more kind of um, judges that were willing to kind of appeal to both Republicans and Democrats because they had to be voted um, by both Democrats and Republicans. Since that's gone away, I think we have had, um, you know, both parties be willing to appoint judges kind of more in their own kind of ideological framework because they were able to do that. And I don't think we're going to really see the consequences to that for the next, you know, 20 or 30 years. We will really see the impact because we've had so many judges who are in place prior administrations who are still kind of um, meriting out justice. And so how that's going to become, you know, more political will be interesting to say. But we also see that the longer a judge is on the bench, they tend to kind of take off that political stripe and see the cases before them with the experience. Because, you know, especially, you know, federal judges, they can't be removed. Uh, they know that. And I think they they get I don't want to say better, but they do. They get better, I think, with experience. But it will be interesting to see in the next few decades, um, have we kind of like destroyed the justice system to such an extent by allowing just a simple majority to confirm these judges? Last week on the show, we had uh, Umair Hack, who's a kind of economist and one of the kind of world's great thinkers. And, and he said that it's impossible or would be impossible to prosecute Donald Trump within the normal justice system, you know, the, the kind of civilian justice system that is designed for regular citizens. And in the same way that, you know, a special counsel has been appointed to investigate, why is there not a special judiciary set up to actually prosecute him? Because, as we're seeing, he does not fit within the traditional confines of the American justice system, which is why, in my view, he is going to get away with all of these crimes. You know, it's interesting because I almost think the opposite. Like, I am so grateful he's finally in the regular, old-fashioned justice system. And we see, like, in the judge out of D.C., she's saying she's going to treat him like everybody else. And to me, it's like about time because he was able to just you know, walk over the whole congressional, you know, the impeachments and the investigations because it was all politics. And the justice system is different. We have very clear rules about how a defendant is treated. Very clear. Lots of constitutional opinions on it. And there's really not a lot of wiggle room in the justice system for him. It is going to come down to those 12 jurors in each of the cases, you know, if it gets that far, just like everybody else. And to me, as a lawyer, um, as a citizen, I'm just like, finally, I'm so glad he's going to get treated like everybody else. So let's just talk about the indictments. There's, there's four now. Just kind of list those, those four, and we'll take them piece by piece. Because I think people forget, like, there's so many charges that we now forget the first lot that came through several months ago. 
so many. I mean, we have the Ellen Bragg one in New York, which is the falsification of a business document. And that one is interesting. Uh, it's definitely the most, I guess, minor of them, for sure, both with the This charges. is the Stormy Daniels one. Just yeah, so the Stormy Daniels know. one. Yeah. And this is the one that Michael Cohen kind of went to jail for. His was federal, and the federal decided not to prosecute, and so the Manhattan DA did. And I think that's a little bit uh, of a failing because it would have made more sense I think in federal because it would have been kind of like the the second half, let's say, of um, Michael Cohen's prosecution. So, you know, he has the DA there has kind of a harder job, let's say, of of prosecuting that same conduct. And he found a kind of a fit for it in the um, falsification of the business document. But, you know, we know John Edwards, you know, um, when he ran for president, he was prosecuted afterwards for failing to disclose, you know, payments to his mistress because of our, you know, campaign violation. And I wish that they could have done that charge. They didn't. His This is his um, way of trying um, to make that same kind of charge stick to me, even though I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's just falsification, you know, it's definitely the lesser of all charges. To, to ensure our democracy is fair, I think a charge to ensure that he, somebody in their campaign, you know, isn't falsifying documents in order to not report something, I think is serious enough that it was the right thing for him to bring that charge. The Republicans are saying it was just an administrative error. Right. So they're trying to play it down and make out that, you know, this is just, you know, it's hardly a crime. Of course, it's a serious white collar crime, effectively. The the second indictment came as a bit of a surprise to even Donald Trump, didn't it? Yes. We were talking about the classified documents one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And um, although it shouldn't have, I mean, he certainly now that we've seen all the evidence had plenty of warning that. Um, they, you know, the FBI and Jack Smith was serious about getting those documents back. And he went through quite a bit of uh, trouble to try to make sure he didn't get those back. So at the time, though, that raid, I think, did kind of catch us all a little bit by surprise because we didn't know if uh, Merrick Garland was really going to be serious about going after Trump. Um, now, we should call it a search, shouldn't we? We should call it a, a, a warranted search yes, because yes. raid was the phrase that Donald Trump gave it, of course. Claimed it was a raid. He was raided in the middle of the night. And it was a search with a warrant uh, that had been signed by a judge and his lawyers were present. So there was nothing really out of the ordinary with that kind of a, a search. No, absolutely not. I mean, it was a legal, you could say it's a legal raid or, you know, warrant search. Ex- exactly. It was yeah. definitely by the book that they did that. Right. And then um, we're here. We're starting to hear more information about the the stolen document stuff. Him emptying out the swimming pool into the server room to try and hide evidence. I mean, it's that stuff. When that comes out, is going to be very interesting for people, isn't it? Because you know, when you when you're trying to you know conspire in this way, you're that is like real criminality. And I suppose that's the difference between the first and the second indictment is that. You know, yeah, okay, the first one might be administrative, paying off a porn star so that it doesn't affect your campaign. But the second one, tipping the pool into the server room. I mean, now we're starting to get into the realm of someone who is very consciously, you know, trying to hide evidence from from the law. 
Absolutely. I mean, once we get into the Jack Smith indictments in general, you just see they have so much evidence that's going to play very badly in front of a jury. I mean, the amount of evidence that Donald Trump himself just kind of willingly gives out, right? The tape, the tape of him I'm talking about it to the reporter, these classified documents he has, um, his, you know, his request to his lawyer to kind of get rid of the documents and the lawyer, instead of doing that, um, you know, writes down their conversation and ends up, you know, testifying to the FBI. I mean, and the pictures, you know, I, I uh, cover a ton of trials. That's kind of what I do as a legal analyst. I cover a ton of trials. And that kind of evidence, I mean, I just, the flashing of those pictures during trial in front of those jurors is going to be very persuasive. Those, that kind of evidence is what you don't want. Uh, you know, he, I know his lawyers are talking a lot about, oh, it's a lot of his stuff is going to be saying, like you said, it's an accident. He didn't know. He was just talking. But when you see that these documents, that people have died to get this information right. and, and the existence of them could still be putting people at risk and you're putting them in a bathroom just stacked up and you're not explaining that to the jury, you're showing the photo, that's really hard uh, for, the, for the Trump team to, I think, go around. And so there's a fairly good pieces of evidence here that Jack Smith is going to be able to present to the jury that I think it's going to make it hard for to, Donald Trump to defend. It's also going to be hard for all of us working in the media in various, you know, both independently and on, you know, cable and everything else to actually communicate this and keep tabs on it simply because it's also building up to an election year. So the electioneering, the rallies, all the stuff that Trump loves to do. But his schedule now is going to be very much, you know, rally court date, rally court date. I mean, they're going to have to do some real manipulation. And in fact, it was reported on uh, Friday or Thursday, I think, uh, this week that Trump has, or Trump's lawyers have asked to kind of push the court date. This is the Forney Willis investigation back to after the election uh, which obviously is a, a bit of a joke, but there is a serious side to it. They're claiming it's because they need to look through all the evidence. And certainly with these cases, and there's, you know, 18 co-conspirators and a gazillion charges. There are thousands and thousands of hours worth of tape and materials to look through. And they'll argue that having a case so soon, i.e. before the election, is going to be impossible to prepare for. I think they're going to have a strong argument with that, with the Fonnie Willis in particular. They said that they have yeah. something like 10 million documents that were sent to them. And right. it's tough because, you know, she took uh, we, her investigative grand jury was over a year, right, looking at these documents. And it's going to be hard to then say the defendant should have less time than that to look over the same documents. So it's really tough because I think in a typical, and if, we're, if he's being treated in a typical way, he would, he would get more than six months or nine months to look through 10 million documents. Putting this after the election, uh, especially if he were to win, is so catastrophic though that, you know, you would think the judge 
is going to take that into consideration, but she can't that much. Again, this is no longer a political realm. This is a criminal realm. And as he has some rights, constitutional rights as a defendant. So I would be surprised if it's we're going to, I, I could see her pushing this uh, or that judge, uh, you know, maybe it might be after the election for that Georgia one. But isn't this the problem? I mean, doesn't this expose the whole in the in the argument about using the regular criminal justice system to to prosecute the former president because he you know there is an election coming up and therefore it should be a, a special court with special judges and a whole the whole thing should be and yeah it should be televised and it should be like you know the it should be like the Hague really I mean he should be in the Hague not that he'd ever you know go go that far but. You know, I, I I just feel like these cases against him, and I'm no lawyer. You know, you're you're the expert, but I, I I because there's no precedent for this, because no prosecution of a president's ever happened in this way before, and and in fact, you know, I think last week I was given examples of oh well, you know, Nicolas Sarkozy in France was imprisoned, and and you know, there's been various European leaders, but that is Europe. It is a completely different place to the United States. I can't see any of these charges sticking as long as Trump is delaying and delaying and delaying because I do think he has a very good chance of winning the election because the electoral um the 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 system of electing a conservative or republican president is rigged you know to to the electoral college is rigged to favor conservative candidates and so there is a very good chance because, you know, Republicans behind the scenes have been gerrymandering and messing around with districts and doing everything they can. That it's a very real situation that Donald Trump could win, even though he's not that popular. You know, he didn't win the popular vote. No Republican presidents have won the popular vote. So this is my concern. It's kind of, I'm trying to sound an alarm and I feel like nobody is listening. That, you know, because we're all so caught up in so many cases and judges, and they've all got different charges. And I'm like, none of it is going to stick. He's going to push by, he's going to win, he's going to pardon himself. You know, it's funny. I, uh, before I think he was first elected, right around the time, I would say to everybody I knew, he's going to be the first president to go to jail. I mean, it was, I think, so clear. He was so corrupt even back then. He had his Trump University. I personally think it is going to stick. One, maybe more than one of these. I think he is going to get convicted unless, you know, there's, well, we could talk about that. If they don't weed out maybe a Trump supporter and end up with like a mistrial, I think he will get convicted of one of these and and maybe more than one. And, you know, I think that I don't see how he wins. I mean, here's the thing about, um, you know, what to do about the fact that if we end up with a president behind bars. I think we have to trust to some extent the American people. And I know that it's so divisive right now, it's hard to do that. And there is this really extreme MAGA Republican base, but they're actually quite small. I mean, the MAGA Republican base um, is about, you know, 37% of Republicans. So out of the entire Americans, it's not that big. and. The gerrymandering, thankfully, doesn't come into account for a presidential election when you deal with the popular vote and even the Electoral College. Thankfully, that's not going to help Trump. And so he didn't 
win the popular the first time around. He lost everything the last time around. He's lost all his midterm candidates lost. I don't think people want a president who's going to possibly be in trial in 2024. I think people care about, am I going to get food on my table? Can I pay for my health care? Is my neighborhood safe? Period. End of stop. Most people aren't actually as in tune with all of this stuff. Like you said, there's a lot of noise. I think people are kind of checking out to some extent a lot of this noise. Instead, it's who's going to make my life, my family better. And the more he goes to trial, because some of his trials are going to happen in the spring in the primary overlap. And if people are still wanting to elect him president, knowing how entangled he is with the criminal justice system, well, then maybe that's the president the American people should get. You know, maybe that needs to play out and you need to see what really happens. If you are willing to elect a man president who has all these criminal charges, then it's going to be a mess. And, and, And that's maybe what we signed up for. I don't think that at the end of the day, I'm not actually even convinced he's going to be the nominee. We have a long time before the primaries. And I think people are going to lose their stomach for that. I don't think people want the drama. I think people don't want the mess. They really, at the end of the day, just want this country like handled. They don't want to think about that stuff. So we have a while before that first primary. Uh, And like I said, if, if the voters are still willing to vote for him, you know what, then then this is going to be messy and the Supreme Court will definitely get involved. I mean, I'm sure you know that there's already litigation in states about whether or not somebody, you know, with an insurrectionist can be on the ballot. This is going to get uh, much more litigated between now and then. But like I said, I'm not convinced he's going to be the 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 GOP nominee. I wish this wasn't so exciting, you know, like I wish it wasn't so dramatic and that the stakes weren't so high. You know, I, I wish a lot of things because, you know, I really want justice to be done. I don't want a fascist running the United States. But the problem is, you know, they use these dirty tricks. The people that are around Trump, they use these dirty tricks to manipulate the situation time and time again. And we're starting to see it now with the manipulation of, of witnesses, witness intimidation. We're also seeing it with now in, in Georgia. Apparently, they're now trying to expose the names of the, of the jury and, and even their, their addresses and their social media, trying to publicize this stuff. Because the MAGA Republicans and the GOP arguably do not play by the rules, how do you convict Trump in a, in a rule-based system when the rules are being undermined by him and everybody around him? just to kind of blow the whole thing up. It's not going to be possible. I mean, he is going to keep saying that it's a witch hunt and this is political persecution and it's election interference, and people will buy that. I mean, this election interference, as he calls it, trying to stop your opponent from running by prosecuting them, it actually looks like that to people, to the untrained eye. Whereas Cambridge Analytica in 2016 helping to rig the election and and the Kremlin helping to rig the election through stealth, through Facebook and everything else, is not so obvious. And that's my concern, is that people who are not lawyers and not analysts and not journalists, 
they'll look at it and be like, yeah, like, the, you know, Biden's trying to put him in court. And I think his supporters will think that because they will think anything. But there is, he doesn't even control the entire Republican Party. You know, there is still the traditional conservatives. There are those um, independent streak Republicans who want small government who never really liked him to begin with. There is yeah. a faction of the Republican Party who is not with him. He just doesn't like to talk about that. Uh, no. You know, but the rest of us know that. And I think to your point, I and you, you touched on this earlier. I truly believe we need to televise his trials. And there is yeah. no reason not to. The federal court system um, traditionally doesn't televise their trials like the state courts. But there is no constitutional reason for that. It would really just take T Chief Justice Roberts uh you know, he just has to say, we're going to televise these. That's all it would take. And I think that, again, like the number of trials I've covered, and I, I, I talk about them a lot on social media, and so I get feedback from people watching these trials, and it's amazing. People want to know, they ask me the most detailed legal questions. They get, people get in in it, you know, not just, oh, I, that person wasn't believable on the stand, but what exactly is hearsay? You know, why is it that they weren't allowed to bring this evidence in, but they were allowed to bring the, that evidence in? People get vested and interested. And I think, because like you said, this is so unprecedented, not televising this trial would truly be the harm yeah. to this country. Because if people could just see the evidence, see the witnesses, decide for themselves, frankly, like not have to decide based on the reporter in the room tweeting out afterwards what they think was most important. That I think is a disservice. They should have cameras in there. And, you know, evidently his lawyers already came out saying they would welcome the cameras. And I actually think they probably would welcome the cameras. You know, I Trump, agree. Like, I think Trump would, he yeah, would welcome the cameras because he, he loves a camera. He loves a camera. Yeah. And the American people can see for themselves. And I think what they would see would be so damning, would be so persuasive that it would speak for itself. And so I think we should just, to, to your point about this being scary and this should be special, I think that that would be like the perfect check on this whole thing. Yeah. Make it transparent. Make people see it. Let's hear from Jack Smith himself. And you know what? If he doesn't do a good enough job, people can think that, you know, but then you're at least talking about the facts and not just talking about somebody else's opinion about what happened, whether or not it's my opinion or whether or not it's Trump opinions. This topic is way too serious and way too important. Each American should be able to have their own opinion about that trial. He he's going to talk about the ratings if it does well, isn't it? Be like, it's the, <laughs> high, the highest right. rating show, yeah. And okay, you know listen, what? We have to take it. Yeah. If your ego is so big that you're going to take pride about the ratings of your criminal trial, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm. I'd be fine never to have ratings on a criminal trial. Such, such is the life of the narcissist. Exactly. Okay. Listen, we have to take a quick pause for our sponsor, but uh, I want to come back and talk about the. Well, the chances of him being held in contempt for some of the stuff he's posting on social media. Uh, we're back in just a moment. 
I've always found it difficult to find clothes that I like to wear. And when I find one thing that works, I just buy loads of them and just wear the same thing all the time. Well, men's closets were due for a radical reinvention. And Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable and flexible set of products known to man. And here's why. Roan helps you get ready for any occasion. The commuter collection offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, zips and polos. You'll never have to worry about what to wear when you've got the Roan commuter collection. The comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work or your 18 holes of golf. It's time to feel confident without the hassle. With Roan's wrinkle release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products. It's that easy. And with Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. I personally love a technical fabric, something that is advanced and uses technology to make a more comfortable and more modern outfit. Now, the commuter collection can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. So head to roan.com slash Anthony and use promo code Anthony to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash Anthony and use code Anthony, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Made's bed sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding, so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics originally inspired by NASA, Miracle-Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long, so you get a better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresh three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice if not nicer than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Bacteria can clog your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com slash weekend to try Miracle-Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo code WEEKEND at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash weekend and use the code weekend to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. That's trymiracle.com slash weekend to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. We're back with Dina Saik-Doll here on The Weekend Show. I'm Anthony Davis. Um, Donald Trump has kind of projects some of the stuff that 
you know, the crimes that he's committed, he like projects them and throws them onto the other side, right? So he calls Joe Biden a fascist when he's quite clearly the one who kind of disappears people off the streets of Portland and, and gasses his own, you know, his own citizens. Um, he's been doing this quite a bit with, you know, on social media, on Truth Social, as it's called, which uh, should not be called Truth Social, <laughs> should be called Lies Social. He he just says all the quiet stuff out loud. and But it's getting to a point now where even though the judges have said he needs to close his mouth and, and you know, just quieten down a bit, he can't help himself. And there is a chance, because he's been attacking Tanya Chutkin to such a point, and I should actually reference the uh, arrest that happened just the other day, a Texas woman charged with threatening to kill Tanya Chutkin because, you know, she's a Trump supporter. Her name's Abigail Jo Shry of Alvin, Texas. She called Judge Chutkin's chambers on April 5th, two days after Trump was arraigned on the election interference charges. She left a voicemail message attacking the judge, who is black, with a racial slur. She said, you know, I mean, she said Trump has to win the election. She was a Trump supporter. Now she's in prison. I mean, at what point does Judge Chuck and, and other, you know, DAs and whoever else is involved in the other cases, because a lot of racism being, you know, thrown around, at what point do you hold... Donald Trump in contempt. It's funny. I was just having a bet with a friend the other day. Okay, what are the odds of him not going to jail for contempt before the trial starts? Yeah. I think it is, oh, we are like at least at 50 50. Uh, she yeah. is not going to mess around because she has had quite a bit of trials for the January 6th defendants. She has sent a lot of people to jail for doing basically what Donald Trump told them to do. They had, their lives were going on as normal. They listened to this man who said our country was being stolen and they showed up and and she was the one who had to sentence them. And I think that that weighs heavily on her. And I really believe she's not gonna treat him differently because why would she give him leniency when she couldn't, you know, with anyone else? And. So, well, because he's the ex-president. I mean, isn't this the point? And this is the caveat that I have to keep coming back to, is that she's playing a, a game here, isn't she? Because people are going to accuse her of being political because we know that she's a Democrat and she's female and she's black and all of these things Trump does not like, and not enjoy. So it's all material and collateral. You know, again, it's like every typical and traditional thing that should be happening in the criminal justice system is going to be allowed to slide. I don't think so. I do think he is going to get some leeway. I mean, even just the tweet he had already, or not quite a tweet, it wasn't on Twitter, but that he already said, which was, you know, anybody that comes after me, I'm going to go after you. You're right. Yeah. A typical criminal defendant would already have been in jail under contempt for something like that. So I think yeah. she is going to give him leeway because, like you said, he is the Rex president. But I think there's a line. I think there is a line that if he crosses, she will do that. She's like I said, you know, she has prosecuted. She has said, actually, in open court, you know, that she's going to treat him like anybody else, like they, his lawyers already tried to say, you know, he needs to be able to say these things when he's campaigning. 
You know, you have to be yeah. able to give him leeway. He has to be able to defend himself. And she said, no, you know, this is a criminal case and it doesn't matter what your political campaign is like. This is a criminal case. You are going to be treated like a criminal defendant. I'm going to take her at her word. She told us. What but she, they but say? she's already she's already she's already failed in that regard because someone tried to, you know, someone tried to kill her. I mean, this woman had a gun in her car and stuff. I mean, you know, if the line is not someone leaving you a voicemail saying I'm coming to get you and, you know, and I'm a Trump supporter and you're trying to persecute Donald Trump. I mean, where where is the line? Is it a, a constantly moving line? I mean, this is what I don't get. It's like we are we are putting our faith in her. I have a lot of faith in her because, yes, yeah, she has been tough on other defendants, but they weren't Donald Trump. There must be a lot of pressure on Tanya Chutkin right now. I, I wouldn't want to be in her shoes. No, definitely not. I think these DAs, these um, judges are put in a position that they never probably wanted to be in, but they, this is their duty that they're called upon. And I think it's, you know, the Trump supporter, like you said, did get arrested for it. So there was a consequence to it. You wouldn't necessarily make the defendant um, kind of liable, let's say, for somebody else's actions, even if it wasn't Donald Trump. But I do think that, you know, we're, we're new, right? This was this very recent, um, the January 6th. But can he stay quiet for months? It's possible he will. I I. You know, I'm sure you're going to get to this point, but the fact that he's decided not to release the packet on Monday definitely was his lawyers kind of telling yeah. him not to do it. So it is possible. You know, I don't think he wants to go to jail. He's not, you know, totally stupid. He has this huge ego, but he might rein himself in. But I think if he doesn't and he repeatedly uh, crosses that line, I, I, I think she is willing and I think she will uh, send him to jail in contempt. We should just mention that he was going to do a press conference on, on Monday that he claimed he had evidence that was going to prove that the election was rigged, which of course he doesn't have. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Uh, Mike Lindell, the my pillow guy, also had a conference that was supposed to be happening uh, earlier in the week, where he was going to be revealing evidence that would prove that the election was rigged. Except then he got up on the stage and said, "Actually, there is no more evidence, but we are just saying that it's God's will. And if you believe that you know God wants this to play out as it's going to play out, and if you don't believe that, then you you should go to hell." And then no one turned up for his conference. It was like pictures of like six people sitting there. I mean, I'm sure that would have been a compelling weekend. <laughs> Didn't interest me, really. But, you know, this is, this is my concern, is that we have all these kind of very theatrical moments in time where, you know, are big things happening. I mean, I'm really looking forward to Trump turning himself in because this is the next thing that has to happen, right? Forney Willis originally gave him till... I think on Friday, and was it now? Is it next Friday? Or he's got to be in by a certain date. But they're going to book him. They're going to photograph him, mugshot him, fingerprint him, and treat him like anybody else. And apparently, the, that kind of Fulton County Jail is not a nice place to be. Do you think that'll play out? I mean, is is that going to happen, or will that get changed and he'll end up doing it via Zoom in the end? No, I think it's going to happen. The, the sheriff has made it clear um, that that's going to happen. I haven't heard anything otherwise. I mean, yes, does he need to be fully identified? We all know who he is. So possibly there could be some wiggle room there. But 
according to that sheriff, he plans to kind of do it by the book. And I do think the fact that Trump decided not to do that press conference on Monday shows that he is listening to his lawyers, that they are reining him in a little bit. Well, they threatened to quit, didn't they? I thought that they were all like, if you don't, if you don't listen to us, we're all going to leave. I mean, that's the kind of leverage they're having to play with him. Yeah, although people have quit before, I think, because they haven't listened to him. So he's yeah. a little bit afraid. I think he, he, he doesn't want to go to jail. I think he realizes these stakes are real and they're serious. And it showed, I mean, I don't remember the last time he kind of um, pumped something up and then canceled it. So it's, it's, I think it's a little bit of a different side of him. And I think we are going to see some of that because he is constrained in this criminal justice system. His political maneuverings will not be effective. And I think we're just starting to see what the criminal defendant Donald Trump is willing to do. It's very interesting because I like to think of him in a, from a mental health perspective, you know, because he's not normal. He, he does not have the same kind of moral compass or emotional intelligence that, that most people would have by default. I don't think he thinks it's possible for him to go to jail. So, you know, you talk about him, you know, fearing jail. It doesn't even enter his mind, I don't believe, that the idea that Donald Trump, because he thinks of himself in the third person, and as a brand, how do you put a brand in jail? You see what I mean? He's psychologically, I just don't think he gets his, can ever get his head around the idea that that would happen. But even if he did go to jail for contempt, for example, it would be special treatment in there as well, wouldn't it? I mean, he wouldn't be with other inmates. He'd be separated. He'd be getting delicious snacks and have a Coca-Cola button. I mean, you know, there, there is... Maybe it's because the US doesn't have, like, a monarchy that the president becomes the, the biggest celebrity, you know, or the ex-presidents become the biggest celebrity. You know, there's no one above. And that's why when I have American friends who criticize the British monarchy, I'm like, yeah, but don't you want to have someone like above the prime minister who when the prime minister, you know, goes a bit crazy, the king or queen can go, nah, that's not happening. I mean, if you did have a monarchy, Trump would have been beheaded by, by now. Um, and I mean that in the, in the nicest possible way. So... What, you know, in terms of checks and balances, I mean, how is this going to play out? Well, I think to your point is our check and balance, our third branch of government is our judiciary. He is seeing the check, which is the justice system. And I yeah. think that maybe what's happening is we were all so disappointed when Congress wasn't an effective check on him, which is the third branch, right? And they really, really failed. They really failed to check this out of control president. And, and there is some cynicism, I think, that came from that. But the justice system is so removed from the political system. And each judge is truly the king of their castle. And we are going to see that because each judge and each of these four, and we may not stop at four, right? I mean, Arizona might be coming next, uh, but they are going to treat it a little bit differently. And sure, some of it is because of who appointed them, but also because that's just the justice system. If I go to court, um, 
It will definitely depend what judge got assigned to my case, how the outcome of my case is going to be, period. Regardless of my, you know, it not being politics. It's just how our justice system works. And so each judge is going to be doing this a little bit different, but they are going to be the check. Each of them are going to be the check because once you get into that castle, they are truly the king, that judge. And it, you are so limited as a lawyer or as a defendant on what you can do or not do in that courtroom. I mean, you know, very limited. You're talking about how you address the judge, uh, whether or not you're using your cell phone. I mean, it's almost that monarchy, like you talked about. You know, in the American country, we are so kind of free-spirited, and especially in this day and age, there's a lot of like traditions that go by the wayside, right? Um, very free, but not in a courtroom. The courtroom is that last place where the decorum and rules are still very much enforced. And that's why I think it should be televised so people can kind of see for themselves uh, how serious uh, each of those judges are going to take this. Well, if the cameras are good enough for O.J. Simpson and Michael Jackson, then, you know, the least we can do is put it on put it on TV. Um, it's it's I, I, I'm I'm more optimistic now based on what you just said. You know, because, you know, I'm here to be convinced. This is part of the part of the job, right? Um, and, you know, most of my interest, journalistic interest, is about the rise of fascism in the West. And do you remember at the very beginning of, of Trump's presidency, the news were using words like falsehoods. They never said mm. anyone was lying, right? Because that, you know, to say someone is lying, that can be libelous. And so people tend not to say that. So they say, oh, falsehoods. And then, of course, you had Kellyanne Conway with alternative facts and that kind of, well, it's like, well, hang on a second. Now we're in a whole new realm with lies. Now the news channels are starting to use words like he lied because it's so obvious that he did. There's so much evidence and it's compelling. But do you not think that the media has played a part in the rise of Trump, the rise of Trumpism, not knowing how to cover it, not knowing how to communicate it because the way I think we would have done it in the UK which we kind of did with Boris Johnson because he also had you know kind of fascist tendencies and was a terrible liar is you laugh him off the screen you know you literally you you humiliate him and Trump would have hated that you know the one time he got up at the UN and, and said he was the greatest president in history and everybody laughed at him and he was like, hmm, I wasn't expecting that reaction. I mean, you really have to think carefully about how you cover someone like that because the media was making money out of him. You know, the bosses of cable news channels were saying that he's box office. And so, you know, nobody watched these channels before this guy came along. They were only on in hotel rooms and gymnasiums. So do you, do you think about that aspect of it? I mean, it's hard for us, isn't it? Because, you know, we're in the media to also be objective about how the media covers the rise of fascism. I think you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of the media do admit that they gave Trump way too much free airtime when he was running for president the first time around. He was entertaining. Let's be frank, yeah. that's what he was, he was entertaining. And when you're dealing with a 24 hour news show, 
there's sometimes not other news. And it was yeah, very... Yeah, keep talking. Yeah, it was very easy to talk about this man who had so many sound bites. I mean, he was just made for the news. He had so many sound bites, so many press conferences he held. He filled their news quota, let's say, very easily, too easily. And instead of having a healthy amount of fear over what will happen if we give him this much coverage, if we elevate him this much, what will happen? There was no introspection there. I don't think that's what, I don't think they thought about it and then made a conscious choice. I think there was just no introspection. There was, this is way too fascinating. This is way too interesting. But yeah, yeah, the amount of free airtime he got absolutely played into it. But also on the flip side, Trump himself, you know, by calling, coining the term fake news, I think really, really, for me as a journalist, like that I thought was almost one of the most harmful things he did in the beginning. I mean, he since I think yeah. did worse. I agree. I've said that the whole way to, to yeah. demonize the free press and to refer to journalists as the enemy of the people. You know, that day was the day that I would have expected the whole media to just turn on him. And they didn't. Mm-hmm. They kind of lapped it up. And that is why, you know, some of us don't work in the mainstream media anymore and work with kind of, you know, pro-democracy, independent organizations and for ourselves. It's because it's untenable to work under those circumstances when you're being referred to as, as fake news. I think so. And I think it goes to your point where they were so afraid to call them out, right? They had to say falsehoods instead of lie, or they had to give equal time to the yeah. other side, even Both if, sides isn't, right. Yeah. Even if there really wasn't an other side to him, there was this, uh, you know, structure of fairness, which I think is important, but instead of seeing what was coming at them as being like a vital attack on our free press, they returned with this fairness. Like we can't call them out like that because we're going to be seen as being biased. And there was too much of a concern around that instead of by not calling them out, you didn't do your job and you really failed the American people. There was an article on uh, Friday in the New York Times uh, that said America, sorry, the Washington Post, it said American democracy is cracking. Uh, Behind the sense that the political system is broken lies a collision between forces both old and new. They say in a country where the search for common ground is increasingly elusive, many Americans can agree they believe the political system is broken and that it fails to represent them. I'm keen to talk about why we are trying to get the country back onto a track and a footing that is flawed, right? We know that the electoral college system has failed, does not give us the results, the the fair results based on the numbers of people voting. It's, It's heavily swayed and rigged, as we said at the beginning of this conversation, And no one seems to want to do anything about that. We have a far-right extremist Supreme Court that is stacked, and there doesn't seem to be any appetite for wanting to address that balance or pack the court, as it's called. Why why are people so... I mean, is it that Joe Biden is not a modernizer? You know, he is obviously of mature years. He's of a previous generation. 
although I think he does pretty well to kind of see where it's at now. But his hands are tied because he knows he has to win, and he has to win independence and all sorts of people. And so he can't talk too much about climate change because it puts people off. But meanwhile, we're like, the the planet is burning. It seems to me, and with this article in in the Post, that, that we're trying to get the country back onto a footing of a system that is fatally flawed. And actually, we need to rewrite the Constitution. We need to redesign the electoral system and go to some kind of proportional representation or something that is more suited to democracy. Because, you know, Republicans now, they don't claim that this country is a democratic country. They claim it is a constitutional republic. They don't care for democracy. They don't want people to have a vote. They're closing down polling places. So how much like extra work, if we did have a younger president or somebody who was more pro-democracy. Do you think that we should be changing things up in the U.S.? This is my view on how to change things. Uh, you know, I think that we pro- we don't have the vote, you know, regardless of who is our president, we don't have the vote to abolish the Electoral College. But the Electoral College is decided, you know, they, when they first started, it was, um, you know, the members of the House it matches, right? The, who's going to be representative of the House is the same about as the Electoral College. It's like a match. And they were, they, it used to be one for one. As the population went up, they would get another House. And it got too big, right? The House was getting yeah. too big. So instead of yeah. it being like a direct increase, they, they came up with this formula. It's a very complex formula for how they decide population increase and an increase in representation in the House and Electoral College. So my theory is that that formula just needs to be reworked. I think that the fact that we've had now in modern history so many times where the Electoral College did not match the population just shows that the formula needs to get reworked. And I think there would be, that would be much easier to get done. Just hire like an actuary at this point, have them take a look at it, you know, a Democratic can just investigate that and see. And it could be something as small as tweaking it because for years we didn't have this problem. So the fact that we're suddenly having this problem, I think it's more of a, uh, a mismatch between how the formula is being played out. And then in terms of the Supreme Court, you know, I think that the reason why the Supreme Court is kind of so powerful right now. Because if you look at our history, the Supreme Court has never necessarily always been this powerful, right? Uh, There are times that I don't know if anybody would even remember any of their opinions. And I think the reason why they've gotten this powerful is because Congress has gotten so weak. And I think the reason why Congress has gotten so weak is because of the filibuster, which again is a relatively recent phenomenon, and it has hindered their ability to legislate. If Congress could truly, okay, here's, let's say this for the example, you know, the Joe Biden, his executive order of trying to, um, you know, wave away the the debt, right, for college student students. Loan yeah, the yeah. student loans. I mean, one, that happened because Congress couldn't act. So right there, he, he tried kind of a novel way of, of creating law because Congress was Unable to, even though we had both 
chambers because of that filibuster. Now, now the Supreme Court knocks that down. It wouldn't be the last word if Congress was strong enough to create their own law, which would essentially overturn the Supreme Court law. And I think we would see that again and again and again, even abortion. You know, at the time that they struck down abortion, the Democrats controlled both houses and they could have tried to do a federal law protecting abortion. There would have maybe been some Commerce Clause issues, but they could have at least tried, but they couldn't because of the filibuster. And so my theory on the Supreme Court is, I don't think we're going to have an appetite for packing the Supreme Court. I don't think there's going to be, no matter who is president, no matter how liberal the president is, I don't think we're going to be able to get enough votes for that. But the easier fix, I think, would be to get rid of the filibuster, make Congress strong enough that the Supreme Court isn't the last word on these laws. Again, we're supposed to be three co-equal, and we kind of talked about this before. Um, the Justice Department is almost beginning judiciary branch is becoming more powerful because the con Congress is getting less powerful. And I think we need to kind of even that out a little bit and there'll be less focus on how conservative the Supreme Court justices are because you can overturn some of that easier, you know, in a, in a congressional way. America is a progressive country. You know, the, when, when people are polled, the people's views, personal views on, on the big ticket items like abortion, for example, is very much a more kind of liberal view. And yet the people are not represented in Congress or the Senate or the Supreme Court at all because of the manipulation of the way people are elected. And, you know, we've seen with the kind of fake electors scheme that Trump tried to pull, you know, that, that actually the electoral college system can come down to just a handful of people just kind of changing these electoral college votes. So in my mind, that needs to change. But we've also got this other issue of minority rule, where, you know, because the country is not split up and, and much larger states with much larger populace have the same number of, of uh, senators as, say, you know, smaller jurisdictions, you end up in a situation where there is this kind of minority rule, the views of the people the popular vote is not recognized in any branch of government. And we've seen this with judges, you know, the way that judges are approved by minority rule. You know, it's, it's, it's very much the case that the, the system outside of what's obvious, you know, who the president is and who the head of the Republicans in Congress and in the Senate are, those kind of obvious positions. But outside of that, what the GOP have done over the last six or seven years is they have kind of spread this movement of like far right thinkers into the judiciary, into these judicial lifetime positions all over the country. So it's a stealth like change that the average person doesn't notice until they're up in front of a judge or until something goes wrong. I mean, that's my concern is that none of this reflects the views of the people nationally. I mean, luckily, Biden has actually appointed now more federal judges than Trump did at this point. So there is a counteracting um, with that, thankfully. But you're right. It's going to be kind of like the draw of the hat who happens to get your judge. Instead of having more moderate judges, we're going to have judges that are more conservative and more liberal than they used to be, mixed in with those who are already on the bench. So it's going to be an interesting mismatch. But I think you're right. You, you know, you mentioned the gerrymandering 
earlier, I, I personally believe that the gerrymandering is kind of the root of all of our problems. You know, even more so kind of you talked about the media, because if you have a candidate who only has to speak to the Republicans when they get on the news, they're only going to talk about those Republican talking points because those are the only voters they care about. But if you have a, um, a candidate who has to get both Republican and both Democrat voters, when they give that news interview, they're going to be appealing to both sides. So I think it's like a trickle effect. And we glad, at least we saw the Supreme Court, you know, um, knock down the Alabama gerrymandering, which was pretty extreme and uh, racist. And I think we just need to see a lot more of that. I mean, California has uh, their own system, right, where the top two vote getters move on from the primary. It can be two Democrats. It can be two Republicans. I mean, we, we need to be creative. If it's not going to be redistricting, it's, you know, and we, we have seen some states do that, right, that the choice system, all of those on the ground, local changing of how we elect people, I think is crucial. And I think it all comes from that. The media is, I think, only a reflection of what the candidates want to get their message out. And if you have candidates who want to appeal to everybody, then we will have less of those echo chambers because at the end of the day, they just want to get reelected. Yeah, and power and money is so corrupting, isn't it? Mm. We have to take another quick break, but I want to come back, make a few predictions with you. But I also want to talk about Trump and racism and the fact that, you know, a lot of these prosecutors are, to him, the wrong color. You know, it's injustice because a black person is prosecuting a white person. That's to come next on The Weekend Show. I'm excited to tell you about Moink. That's Moo plus Oink. Moink is a meat subscription box company on a mission to fight for the family farm. They're located in rural America, run by an eighth-generation female farmer. Their animals are raised humanely, their employees are paid a living wage, and the quality of their product is better than anything you'll find in the store. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did, and as a result, Moink meat tastes like it should, because the family farm does it better, and the Moink difference is a difference you can taste. Now, unlike the supermarket, Moink gives you total control over the quality and source of your food. You choose the meat delivered in every box, like ribeyes to chicken breasts to pork chops and salmon fillets and much more. Plus, you can cancel your box delivery any time. I personally have struggled in the US to find meat that doesn't have antibiotics in it or hormones added. And finally, I found a place where I can just go and trust that all of those things are taken care of for me. Now, I know that this is the right thing to do. I'm sure you will too. Just keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash weekend right now. And listeners of the show get free ground beef for a year. That's one year of the best ground beef you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. So go to moink, spelt M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash weekend. That's moinkbox.com slash weekend. 
It's the weekend show. Dina, let's talk for a second about the what's been happening recently with Donald Trump. Now, I actually posted a video on 5-Minute News and, and Midas Touch exposing Trump, who in an interview, he basically was referring to the prosecutors who are you know, majority black. Alvin Bragg is obviously a black male, but, you know, there there's black females. He doesn't have respect many women. He certainly doesn't respect black women. He thinks it is a total injustice. And he said a line that really chimed with me that I tried to kind of make clear in the video. He said, they don't understand how the world works. And I translated that to be, in his world, white, rich men do what they like, and they go free. And that it is not right that that black people should be prosecuting white people. I do think it's as simple as that. It sounds weird to talk about it in this way, and I apologize if people might be offended by this, but I am trying to get into the mind of Donald Trump. And I believe that when he refers to a witch hunt, a lot of it he thinks is, you know, the fact that the black people don't like him because he's white and, you know, he has all this stuff about eugenics and, and white power and, you know, he is a white supremacist. And, you know, it's unfortunate that in in a lot of these cases, and certainly with the judge Tanya, Tanya Chutkin, that he's going to be facing black people on the stand and he is not happy about it. I think you're absolutely right. I don't think you can interpret that statement in any other way. And he always does say kind of the quiet part aloud, let's say. Like he, he's never been good at holding back. So I think we take him at his word. That's exactly what he means. And I have, uh, you know, as a woman, I have been excited about the fact of how many women are holding him accountable. Yeah, because too. yes, he's racist, he's sexist. I remember way before he was even president when he was referring to you know rosie o'donnell right he was talking about her weight in such a yeah. disgusting way and i was shocked i was like wow i can't believe somebody's talking about a woman like that uh national- not to mention the hypocrisy of course oh because, exactly you know he's no adonis himself but that <laughs> this goes back to the mental health and the narcissism you know mm-hmm. he really genuinely thinks that he is hot and he's you know he's got it all and, you know, the, the opposite is quite clear. Uh, yeah, definitely the opposite. And unfortunately, he's normalized a lot of that, of being so yeah. rude. I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. We talked a lot about the law. But, you know, the law is kind of like, I think, the base minimum of how, you know, we should be legally conducting our lives. And what about the morals? What about the ethics? What he's done to, like, the culture of our country is so so sad to be honest like just how people can be mean and rude and uh it's just you see it you see his supporters perpetuate the same kind of language and 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 made it acceptable so yeah i take like a certain amount of just joy i guess from the fact that there's so many women and people of color who are in charge um some of it happenstance right the judge is getting Picked and some of it because that is literally their jobs to hold them accountable. But yeah. I think there is some sort of poetic, poetic justice to it. We've seen the opposite with Eileen Cannon in Florida, of course. We haven't mentioned her yet, but she is a Trump-appointed judge. She is overseeing the uh, stolen documents case. She appeared to be taking instruction from Fox News last week. 
And, and, and that was reported, that stuff that was said on Fox was then stuff that came out of her mouth. I mean, why has she not been taken off the case? I know. And that is kind of the big question. I don't know if it's never going to happen. I think that Jack Smith is waiting to see. And I do think if she makes a particularly egregious ruling, that's going to affect his case. Because at the end of the day, again, he's narrowing his scope. He doesn't really care how this is coming across politically for Trump. But if if she makes a ruling that's going to affect whether or not he can win, I certainly think he will try to get her recused. And I think he would have a good shot considering the appellate court already reversed her rulings and in 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 with language showing that they thought that she had really overstepped. So I think he has some good footing there and he's just waiting and I th- she knows that. So I think that she might also be kind of reining herself in um, because she probably doesn't want to get taken off the case. And even though um, she is on his side, I even like the fact that she's a woman. And, you know, for the conservative women, you know, you if, if she was on the other side, he may not be talking about her race, but, you know, he would be talking about her looks. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's where he goes with women. And. Yeah. And it's sad if um, a a Trump female supporter can't see that because he does it to all of them. Um, On Thursday, uh, Colton Moore, who's a Republican state senator in Georgia, has moved to impeach Forney Willis. Uh, This comes in the the wake of the 41-count indictment against the former president. Um, Colton Moore wrote a letter to Governor Brian Kemp in which he called for an emergency review of Willis's actions. He said, America is under attack. I'm not going to sit back and watch us radical and watch as radical left prosecutors politically target political opponents. Now, just finally, because I want to kind of, you know, you and I differ a little bit on our views of where this is going to end up. And I, I enjoy that. You know, I like a little discourse, but I there's nothing worse than watching people agree with each other all the time. But. But, you know, this kind of Colton Moore move, trying to impeach Forney Willis, all of these tricks and tactics, this is like retribution for Trump's two impeachments, which, you know, they're now talking about expunging in Congress. This is what I'm saying about Donald Trump being such a slippery character and having so many, you know, in the judiciary, which is now compromised, and Congress, which is now compromised, and not just compromised by people that are, you know, politically leaning to the right. These are far-right operatives. These are people taking instructions from the Kremlin. These are people who want Putin to win and Ukraine to lose in the war. I mean, we are talking about people who have been infiltrated now. And so this is why the stakes are so high. And, and my feeling is the reason that Trump could get away with it and win the election is because people like Colton Moore have so many things at their disposal. And they will just say, well, you tried to impeach him for a perfect phone call. So we're going to impeach Forney Willis for investigating him when, you know, he all he was doing was using his free speech rights. I mean, this is what we're going to end up with. And then Trump gets off, and then the Electoral College is stacked in his favor, and then he wins the election. Over to you. I think that 
we are seeing kind of like we talked about real bravery on the parts of Fonnie Willis and the other prosecutors who are willing to take on Trump. I think they knew that a lot of this stuff and probably worse was coming and they were still willing to do their jobs. It's all it is, is their job. Nothing more, nothing less. And the fact is, is this request for an investigation is going to fail. You know, Brian, Governor Kemp has already come out. He doesn't see the point of it. He's like, didn't you learn the first time around? We lost those Georgia races after that. I'm not going to go through this again. And they don't have the votes either. I think they need like two thirds in the Georgia Senate in order to be able uh, to follow through on this. And they don't have the votes. So I think there's a little bit of us having to realize what's noise and what can they actually do. And they don't hold as much power as they wish, as they want, and as they need. And there's, it's crazy. I mean, this whole thing, the more that's come out of all these indictments, you realize how much of our democracy was held intact by a handful of Republicans, not Democrats, but Republicans, right? The Republican in Arizona, the Republicans in Georgia, uh, so many of them actually were Republicans who ended up doing the right thing. So again, there's and Mike this, Pence, of course, and Mike Pence. Yes, we can't forget yeah. about Mike Pence. Yeah, that guy. That guy. Everybody's <laughs> forgetting about him. His poll numbers are so yeah. low. Um, but <laughs> the MAGA Republicans don't have as much power as they wanted. They wish they could have said, "Hey, we're both Republicans. Let's do this thing." And it was like, "No, no, no. We're not your." kind of Republicans. And yeah. they and they they want to be the ones in power. They want to hold the whole Republican party in their hands and they don't. And at this point, I think that's the saving grace, right, of our country is they don't have as much power as they wish they had. The the Washington Post article that I I mentioned earlier, you know, their headline is American democracy is is cracking. When I tweeted it, I actually said, cracking, it's already cracked, babes. You know, it's like, objectively, do you think, I mean, I understand that, you know, it's hanging by a thread, but is it already broken? And, and you know, how will this play out in the coming weeks and months and years? Because the problem with Donald Trump is that Trumpism is a, it's a virus that has already spread. It's endemic. And so even if Trump is prosecuted and goes to prison, you still have the, the aftermath. You still have, for a generation at least, the, the, the stench of Trumpism will be ever-present in the United States. And, you know, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene have very powerful positions in Congress. I mean, I was thinking just optimistically, let's say Joe Biden wins. And he wins all three branches of government, right? So, so it's all stacked, and then he can start applying a lot of these policies that he's been talking about. We can ban semi-automatic or automatic rifles and all of these things that are going to kind of bring some balance and some order back to the U.S. What needs to happen to bring democracy back? Because, you know, even if he wins a supermajority, there's going to be this stench of Trumpism that people are going to keep saying that it was stolen and it was a witch hunt. And even if Trump's in prison, he's not going to keep his mouth shut. He'll, he'll be doing like the Tiger King. He'll be messaging from his prison cell. So, so what needs to change in order for this period, this stain on American history to actually be put on, back on proper footing? 
That's a great question. I know that his election night speech from the White House where he said he won and it was stolen. I watched that and I thought, okay, should we just like timestamp this as the day America died? Because it was so shocking for it to happen within the White House. I think what we're, this is why it's so important to prosecute him and convict him. Even though some people are like, this is a bad precedent. You know, we're going after our people. We need to make him unique. We don't go after former presidents. We go after him because what he did was so bad. If we don't, the next guy will come. But if he gets convicted and prosecuted. I think, you know, this is, it's a deterrent, right? That's why we ever prosecute criminals. It's a deterrent. So you have to do it to deter the next guy from doing it. And I think what we're seeing here is a lot of the founding fathers, there was a lot of traditions in place. Like George Washington, he just decided to step down after two terms. It was not law until FDR kept running past the two terms. And then they put the law in place that you had to do two terms. So I think that's what we're seeing with Donald Trump is he pushed the limits of tradition. What normally reigned in presidents or candidates was tradition. And he's pushed that. So I think the one hand, we have to prosecute him and deter anybody else. Two, we have to change the laws to create the legal instead of tradition. And then three, in terms of the virus, I actually think he's done a large part of the heavy lifting for us because he has now just convinced all of his supporters that their vote doesn't count. And if you talk to anybody who's ever trying to get somebody elected, the number one thing you have to convince the voter pool is that their vote counts because to get somebody out on election day is extremely hard. Again, we've got this bubble of us and probably our viewers who care quite a bit about politics, but the average election matters based on that person who you get up off the couch and go to election day. That's who wins elections. And him just telling his supporters that it doesn't matter if you get up off your couch because it's they're not going to count your vote is literally the worst thing you can do to win elections. So I think he's doing part of the job for us because voter turnout is where you get who wins. And if his a lot of his supporters never voted before to begin with. Right. I mean, that's he brought out a lot of new voters if they just stop voting again. And maybe they become disgruntled. Maybe they're on social media with conspiracy theories, but they stop voting. They'll lose their political power. Okay. It's, it's great advice. I mean, it worked in the midterms, didn't it? You know, he, he again said your vote wouldn't count and, and, and people didn't come out as much as they should. Um, Dina, thank you so much. Uh, a real pleasure and uh, so much to say. We could talk for hours and I'm sure we'll get another chance another time. So uh, Dina Saigdol, thank you for joining The Weekend Show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great time talking about this. I'm Anthony Davis. Don't forget to subscribe to MAGA Uncovered, my new show with Ron Filipkowski on Wednesdays. You can support me and independent journalism at patreon.com slash five minute news and download the daily five minute news podcast. Join me next week with a brand new special guest and more factual news stories to discuss on the five minute news weekend show with Midas Touch. Hello everyone. 
My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.